Hallelujah. Well, I like to recognize it when we have uh, preachers in the house, and uh, I want Ronnie Moore to come and greet the church today and take about five minutes or so. Ronnie's in the band. Yeah, I know. I, you know, I don't care what happens. You know me, as long as the word of the Lord goes out. Ronnie's an evangelist, and whether you know it or not, this is Jeremy's dad. So uh, they look a little bit alike. And uh, Ronnie's family has been a blessing to the church here. I remember when we went to England to meet, we were going to go over there and preach with Ronnie, and we ended up meeting Jeremy and Catherine. And Stone more worship leader. Amen. And the rest is history. So I'm going to have Ronnie greet you. And, uh, Let's make him welcome today, amen. Yeah, praise the Lord. Good seeing you, and uh, I'm here with uh, the family here today. Talked to Chrissy. She's in England with my son, Evan, of course, who's 21 now. And uh, so they're over there. They'll be back on Thursday. I, show, I sent her a few clips, you know, of the worship and things. They were on Facebook. And uh, Hannah's out in Fort Collins, and Emily is at her uh local church today. So I said, I'll come up and be with the grandchildren and my firstborn. Amen. So praise the Lord. It's good being here. And uh, so uh, it's been a big transition since we moved back from England. It's been five years now. And, um, you know, uh, it's just, uh, you know, God has brought us out into a wealthy place. It says Psalm 66, though you're treaded upon, though you go through trials and troubles and tests and temptations and tribulation, yet God brings us out into a wealthy place, a wealthy place. God has brought us out to a wealthy place, and I'm not talking monetarily, even though that has been a blessing as well, but God has brought us out to a place of rest through all the tests of transition. Yeah. You know, you ask someone, the, well, uh, how you been? Uh, what's up? Well, I'm going to transition. Well, transition is just another word for frustration. <laughs> Amen. When you, someone says they're going to transition, what they're really trying to say, they're going to frustration. Because any transition that is going to mean anything, okay, or impact anything, there will be the frustration of the transition. It was very hard, believe me, for my wife to come back from England. I mean, she turned engine on me in England. She turned British. She is British. To, she is as much British as Catherine, my wife Christy, right? So um, uh, Jeremy took the church there, and, uh, and they came on back here before we came. Because Chrissy was not ready, so I gave her a couple years. But finally I said, it's time. Because they sold the house that we were living in. And Lonnie, you've been in that nice house there. And uh, we rented the house, we didn't own it. And, uh, but when that happened, it, I knew that was a sign, it's time to come. We probably stayed two years longer than we should have, but she needed that time. All right? And, uh, and I bit the bullet. You know, and uh, so, uh, but we came back, and since we've been back, uh, you know, as far as the preaching aspect, uh, God didn't uh, cause us or, you know, uh, really inspire us to take a church coming back here. We had pastored for 15 years, and we wanted some time off of pastoring. You know, we weren't weary. We weren't burnt out. You know, when I hear people say, oh, 
they burned out. And there is no such thing as spiritual burnout. There is no such thing as spiritual burnout. Oh, the pastor burned out. No. People burn out in the ministry when they try to do or continue the works of God in the effort of the flesh. You burn out in the flesh. Your flesh gets weary. You know, God neither slumbers nor sleeps, nor does our spirit slumber or sleeps. He has no burnout. The Holy Ghost has no burnout. And he's in us. So there is no burnout in ministry. There's burnout in the flesh. There's burnout in religion. There's burnout in mean religion. You know what mean religion is? You know, sometimes church folks can be meaner than a junkyard dog. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. We're behind you, Pastor. Yeah, I thought I felt something back there. Yeah. Yeah. We are committed to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. The blood-bought church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't have an address, a Ronnie Lane or uh, Dixie Highway, or there in uh, Bradford on North Parade. We are in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's where our devotion is, okay? Our devotion is to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we are the love, the whole church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the blood-bought church of the Lord Jesus Christ. With everything we got, love God, love his church, okay? With all of its little kinks, with all of its flaws, and as far as God is concerned, he sees no flaws. Because it is perfected by that one offering, Jesus Christ has forever perfected those who believe. And he sat down. He sat down. He's not biting his fingernails when his church is going through financial problems. God has no financial problems. And we have to have the attitude, we love the church down the street, we love the church across town, we love the other denomination, we love the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't love his church. If we don't love his church, then we're going to sit, we're going to be critical, we're going to be cantankerous, we're going to be mean like I said that junkyard dog was, yeah? No, love his church. Love God, love his church. God loves his church. You know, when people talk about God's church, and they try to say, God, that, you know, they don't believe what you believe over there. God said, what are you talking about? Do they believe in my son? Well, that's enough for me. It's enough for me. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, and we've all been made to drink of the self-same spirit. The all is a whole church, you see. It's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ whom we are a part of. And one day God's going to take us out, okay, I'm not going to argue about whether it's pre, mid, or post. I'm not going to split hairs of uh, uh, seven years. I'm not going to split hairs with another believer or another church until I know every chain of the devil is broken first. We're splitting hairs over pre, post, and mid-trib. 
Do you talk in tongues or don't you talk in tongues? Do you believe in water baptism or do you believe in sprinkling? You know what I mean? It's not all about that. Do you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins? Do you believe that he was buried according to the scripture? Do you believe that he rose again on the third day and he ascended? And one day he's coming back. Do you believe that? That's, that's what God looks at. Paul said, I delivered unto you first of all. Say first of all. That which I also received. How that Christ died for our sins. According to the scripture. He was buried and he rose again. That's first things. All the other stuff is doctrine. You see. Doctrine doesn't save me. It directs me with church function. All right. But who I am in Christ. And what I believe on the death, burial, and resurrection. Is what saves me. The other stuff equips me to do service in a lost world. Matter of fact, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not so I can live holier. My love for Jesus Christ will determine if I live holier. Not the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, which I thank God, I received that a, about a, a week after I was saved. That is power for service. Power to witness. Power to love outside these walls. That's what the baptism of the Holy Spirit for. You know? And I believe in speaking in tongues. You don't get the shoe without the tongue. I believe in speaking in tongues. You don't get the shoe without the tongue. The be baptism of the Holy Spirit comes with praying and speaking in unknown tongues. But I'll tell you, that is for to build you up to do the works of God. He who speaks in an unknown tongue builds himself up, edifies himself to do the works of God. You see, so love the church. Love the church. Love its leaders. Love those that serve and day after day, week after week, year after year. You see them consistently on this platform or, or doing service in the different ministries in the church. The unseen ones appreciate and respect and not take for granted the unseen ones that are taking care of your babies, that are teaching your teenagers, the unseen ones. Amen? God loves this church. I believe in these last days, God's going to give us more love for his church. And when they see our love one for another, they'll know that we're his disciples. Thank you. Greetings from our family. Amen. And we're a big family. Hallelujah. My mom and dad had 12 children. Seven boys and five girls. I was the last of the dirty dozen. Amen. Seven, I was a seventh son, 12th child. My mom and dad married 61 years before my mother died. Okay? And they did most of it without God. But yet, hey, folks, we can make it through anything. If they can make it with 12 kids, 61 years. We can make it through anything. So we need to snap out of those things we think are bringing us down and got a grip on us and just come out of it. Let's all come out of it in joy. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. Thank you. 
Love you guys. Um, last Sunday was Palm Sunday, as you all know. And we celebrated that, and today we're celebrating the resurrection. It's amazing what can happen in a week's time, isn't it? If you think about the life of our Lord, this was a busy week this past week. And many times in our lives, things get real busy. Things can appear one way one day, and by the end of the next week, things are completely out the window, or we just don't understand what's going on. And Jesus was prophesied that he would come, and he told the disciples exactly what he would do, that he came to die, to be buried, and to be resurrected. And that's the hope of the gospel today, as everyone in here knows, and Ronnie shared, and others, we have that blessed hope that the gospel is true, that Jesus is who he says he is, and he'll do what he says he will do. Always remember that, no matter what's going on around you. And I've been, I've walked down that street in Jerusalem many times, it comes down off the Mount of Olives, it's one of my favorite places, it's all built up now. But you can just feel the anointing of the Lord as you proceed down to the Kidron Valley and, and then you go up into the temple of Jerusalem. And to imagine that Jesus walked that very route on, on Palm Sunday. And the Jews, as many of us do sometimes, were basing their belief in Messiah on a worldly kingdom. So they were disappointed when Jesus told them, I didn't come to build an earthly kingdom. I came to build a heavenly kingdom. So we're part of a heavenly kingdom today. We live in the earth, but we're not looking for an earthly kingdom. We're looking for a heavenly kingdom where Jesus Christ rules and reigns forever and ever. And everybody says, Amen. The week before Passover, Jesus had been performing miracles. He dealt with the Samaritan woman at the well, and there were so many things that happened in his life. But he got to the Mount of Olives, and he, he looked over the city of Jerusalem because he knew his time was near. And it says, he cried over the city. He wept over the city because of the condition of the city because he knew what was going to happen, and they didn't. Even though they, he had prophesied that and told them exactly what was going to happen, they did not understand and he wept over the city because of their lack of understanding. Well, thank God we're on this side of history, and we see the example of Old Testament and the uh, scriptures that began 2,000 years ago, the New Testament, and we have more understanding of what happened there than they did back then. So we are a blessed people. We understand the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. And I'm going to tell you today, if you're in here and you don't know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, he is weeping over your condition because he wants you to be part of the family of God. We got a great big family. All these people that come through here and preach and share and, and work here and do different things. We got a big family. And we all want to be part of that because our daddy is daddy God and his son Jesus Christ. And we have the guidance of the Holy Spirit to lead us into all things. He shows us what's happening, and he shows us what's going to happen in the future. <clears throat> he weeps over us if we're in a lost condition. He weeps over us if we're lost in sin. He loves us that much. And the people were asking the question right before he came, I wonder if he's coming. I wonder if he's coming. Because the, the leaders had tried to persecute him along the way. and The disciples told him to walk no more there because they want to put you to death. Well, guess what? Our Lord had a mission. Yeah. 
He had a reason for coming to this earth. And it wasn't to be an earthly king. And they had warned him against going. And all the people, they wanted to see the miracles. And they wanted to see the signs and wonders, which we all do too. And the conversation in all of Jerusalem was, I wonder if he's coming. I wonder if he's here. Does he think he'll show up for Passover? And people had different opinions about whether he would or not. But guess what? He showed up. Amen. He showed up. Because his mission here was to build that bridge between lost man and a holy God, and he was the bridge. He laid down his life so that, and he said, no one takes it from me. I lay it down. He went. Would he show up? You better show up. If you come to this altar today and receive him as Savior, will he show up? You better show up because that's what he's here for. He shows up every time. He said, all those that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's what he came for, was to save lost souls, which I was one of them, which Jeremy was one of them, which everyone in this room was a lost soul. But guess what? The devil tried to bury us in debris and in sin and unforgiveness and self-hatred. But he said, I'll dig this jewel out of this earth because they belong to me. He had to dig down deep for our salvation. When everybody was saying, are you going? Is he going? Is he going? He already knew that he was going. He had predicted it many times. But I got to thinking at the top of that hill, he wept over the city because he knew what was going to be going on next. And just to fulfill prophecy. I love it. The New Testament just fulfills the Old Testament. Everything that the Old Testament said is fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not just a story of battles and and different things. It's a story of redemption. Isn't it interesting that he who had everything humbled himself even unto death, the death of the cross. The Jewish people were confused because they wanted the king to come, and they, they were so excited. Oh, I hope he comes. He's going to restore the kingdom. He's going to do this, and he's going to do that. They were so excited. But you know what most kings ride on? They have 50 men in front of them. They're in a golden chariot, and they got 50 people behind them, and the people had to bow to the king, and they're riding on a war horse and proclaiming their own glory and what they've accomplished. And you know what he told his disciples? Go you over into the city, and you'll find a donkey tied. You'll find a donkey tied up. He didn't ask for no regal horse or the best stallion in the world. Zechariah prophesies that your Savior, your Messiah, will come to you riding on a donkey, the humbleness of men. He didn't come as an earthly king with all the array and everything that was tied in. He said, you'll find this, and if anybody asks you why you're taking this, and here's another thing, it had never been ridden. Never been ridden. You know why? Because that humble donkey, that humble act was predestined by the Lord, and the Lord knew what was going to happen, and he said, you'll find a, a young donkey uh, and you, if anybody asks you what you're doing, you just tell them this, the Lord needs it. Oh, boy. I feel Ronnie Moore up here in the preaching. 
If anybody asks you, what are you doing? You tell them the Lord needs it. And that's the attitude that we need to take in our lives sometimes today. Your family might not understand. There might be things that you don't understand. But if anybody asks you, you say, the Lord needs me. This is my calling. This is my life. This is what I do. The Lord needs me in the mission field. The Lord needs me there. The Lord needs me to open my mouth and create a testimony that speaks to the glory of God. I got to hurry. He had everything. He had everything. And he went and got a donkey. Think about that. The man who had everything, the God who had everything, he came in on a donkey, a borrowed donkey. That was a good day for that donkey. Isn't it interesting a couple of times that God uses donkeys in the Bible? You say, well, I don't believe that stuff about a donkey talking. I see it every day. No, just kidding. Now, I know that's Ronnie up here. The man, the king, the one that had everything had to borrow a donkey. Think about that for a minute. He had to borrow a donkey. And then after his crucifixion, what did they put him in? A borrowed tomb. You see how he humbled himself so that he might exalt us? You're exalted today in the kingdom because the Bible says whenever a new soul comes, there's rejoicing in heaven. So this could be your day today. And he wants to exalt you to a place. And the Bible says in Ephesians that he has set us down where in heavenly places. He can raise you out of whatever you're in, depression, self-denial, hurt, self-hatred. How many in the church know what self-hatred is. The enemy wants you to hate yourself and say you're not worthy. And he said, look, I came and humbled myself even to the death on the cross that you might be raised up. I don't even have a grave to be buried in. I'll borrow that too because you know why? Because his kingdom is not of this world. He didn't want nobody bringing him flowers. He borrowed a donkey and he he borrowed a grave. And the people took off their coats and they laid them on the ground and they cut palm branches and spread them before him. He made the trees. He made everything. Isn't it funny? I got to believe them palm branches were crying out and worship to God because he made Because he said... Because going down that hill, the Pharisees, the religious, the ones that hate freedom, what he came from, they were praising Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, he wasn't coming earthly. He was coming spiritually. And they shouted, and the Pharisees, the religious ones, said, make them be quiet. We don't want to hear all this stuff. The whole world's going after him. And he told him, he said, I can stop him anytime I want, but... If I do, even the rocks will cry out because creation, creation sometimes understands God better than we do. And we're supposed to be the smartest ones. And then I'm impressed. You know what he did? 
They wanted him to be king. You know the first thing he did when he got off that donkey? He went into the temple and turned over all the tables of the money changers. That's not exactly the arrival that they were expecting. <laughs> they were expecting me to come into town and say, you, 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 you princess, you're princesses, you're this, you're that, this is my kingdom. He went in and he said, my house shall be called a house of prayer to all nations. Sometimes in our Christian walk, we're 2,000 years removed down. We need to turn over some idols sometimes and turn over some tables and get the best back to the basics of the gospel, which Ronnie shared, which says he came to this earth, he died, and he rose again. So, And if he didn't rise, then we're not going to rise. That's what he came for. And I love one. Three of the gospels say he turned over the table, and the other one says he went into the temple and he just... Stood and looked around. Didn't say a word. Just looked around. He saw a bunch of people that he had wept over. That didn't understand what the house of God meant. And it's amazing that some of those people that praised him by Friday, they were ready to crucify him because he attacked everything that was not led by his spirit. How many of you know that God doesn't like religion? Religion ties you up in a knot. And you say, how do I know that? Look at the Pharisees. They were so tied up. They wouldn't walk anywhere. They wouldn't do anything. They wouldn't go up the steps. They wouldn't go down the steps. That's not freedom and life in God. That's not what he came for, was to say, well, you need to operate in this little box right here. Don't touch this. Don't mix this. Don't do that. Don't... Freedom is not a list of do's and don'ts. Freedom is a list of, this is what I've done for you. You do everything that you need because the grace of God is upon you. (laughs) He turned over the tables. I think we better go to John pretty quick. Real quick, uh, Olivia, thank you. John chapter Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. Yeah. You know, he had this face in him the whole time. On that trip, is he coming or not? He knew he was coming. As he went down that hill and he wept over the city, he knew what was going on. He knew by the end of the week that they would turn on him, a majority of them. He knew that he was going to be tried illegally in the middle of the night. He knew that he was going to be scourged 40 lashes minus one. Crucifixion was evident everywhere. That was the Romans' form of punishment. I heard that they had miles, not just a couple of crosses somewhere. They had miles of crosses set up along the roadway to say to people, this is what happens when you mess with our earthly kingdom. So he knew exactly what he was doing. But as I've shared many times, what hope did he have that we don't have? He had the only guarantees that we have today. His father said, and he said in the Psalms, I don't know what Psalm it is. I got it written down, but I don't want to go there right now. He said, you will not leave me in the grave. You will not cause me to rot in the grave. That's a promise that Jesus knew from studying his scriptures. 
That's the promise he had. Lay down your life, lay down your life. Well, what promise you got? Because the Father said, he will not let my soul rot in the grave. So he went to that cross. Jesus knew that his mission was now finished and to fulfill Scripture, he said, I'm thirsty. I got to find out where that is in the Old Testament. I still got time, so don't let anybody get antsy on me now. Let me find that real quick. Oh, boy, this is good here. Look at Psalm 22. (laughs) Verse 15, he says, this is Psalm 22, a Psalm of David, years and years before Jesus came, but the Old Testament, remember, is prophetic, and it speaks of what's going to happen. You can depend on the Word of God. God, listen, if you're confused by the book of Revelation and you don't understand something, don't worry. Very few people understand everything, but I'll tell you what, what God said happened is going to happen. Look what he says here in verse 15. He said, my strength is dried up like sun-baked day. I'm in 22. I'm sorry, Olivia. My life, you know. I need to take a breath in here. I make it real hard on them. But they're up to the task. It says, my strength has dried up like sun-baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. For you've laid me in the dust and left me for dead. But let's read on a little bit. Go to Psalm and then look at Psalm the same song, verse 17. The prophecy was that not one of his bones would be broken. This was a prophecy that all his bones were numbered. You know what they did in crucifixion to hurry the death of the condemned one? They would hang him on a cross, and there's a whole other thing I wanted to get into about Passover, but it's not going to happen. They would hang him on a cross. And they would get so wore out from the excruciating pain that they would lift themselves up on their feet, which were nailed together, to take the pressure off of their arms so that they would, because they would asphyxiate. They couldn't breathe because of the, their chest collapsing on their heart. That's how they would lift themselves up. And he cried out for water. And it says it right here. He says, they have pierced my hands and feet. But he says, I count all my bones. But my enemies stare at me and gloat. And then he says in Psalm 22, they divide my garments among themselves and throw dice for my clothing. Folks, this was written long before he came. (coughs) Even down to the detail of the Roman soldiers gambling for his cloak. He who had everything ended with nothing. You know what he ended in? He is our portion. We are his pride. Yeah. We're drawn to redemption by the grace in his eyes. That's what he ended up with. He ended up with a church yeah. that he said should be without spot or wrinkle, something that he can present to the Father. Amen. So when he said, I thirst, it was fulfilling Scripture. And the ones that were supposed to know the Scripture didn't even know that the Passover lamb was in their midst. Yeah. Passover came. What was Passover all about? Well, Passover was about deliverance. Yes, it was. They had been in bondage for 400 years in Egypt. 
And God said, I heard the cry of my people, and he sent Moses, and he commissioned Moses to say to Pharaoh, go and let my people, let my people go. And the New Testament, what Jesus did, is a direct model of what Moses did with the delivery out of the promised land. He moved because they needed deliverance. This church is here today because we realize that people need deliverance. We all need deliverance. We all need a Savior. That's what he came for. And he said, I'm about to do a great thing in Egypt. I want you to kill a spotless lamb. You all still with me? Everybody still with me? I want you to kill a spotless lamb. And I want you to take the blood from that lamb, and I want you to spread it over your doorpost. And when the death angel, the judgment angel comes by and he sees the blood, he will pass over you. So the God of mercy became the God of judgment because he wanted his people to be delivered. He wants us to be delivered today. And when the angel came through, those that had the blood on their doorposts, the angel passed over them. There was no judgment. And when you accept Jesus Christ and his blood that he shed on the cross, there's no judgment on you anymore. Your sins are forgiven. You're living in the grace of God. And every time you say, oh, God can't forgive me of this, he sees the blood. He sees the blood. He sees the blood in your life. He sees the blood on the doorpost. And we belong to him just like the children of Israel belong to him. I'm almost finished. Oh, my goodness. And they gave him a sour wine back to uh, 1929, Olivia, thanks. They gave him a, sour, a jar of sour, sour wine sitting there, so they soaked a sponge in it and put it on a hyssop branch, which was predicted, and held it up to his lips. And when Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. What was finished? Our salvation was finished. He became the spotless lamb, just like in the Old Testament. He knew what he was there for. Do we know what we're here for today? Do we know how great a salvation He said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and released his spirit. But look, in verse 31, it says, it was the day of preparation, and the Jewish leaders didn't want the bodies hanging there the next day. You know what that was all about? Religion. They would come along and break the knees or break the legs of the, I got off my thought there. After a while, they wanted to speed it up so they could observe their religious holidays. Isn't that ironic that the king of glory, the one that should be worshipped, was being nailed to a tree and the people, the religious leaders, didn't want him interfering with their sundown Sabbath. Boy, do we miss God sometimes too. We can't put it all on them. And they would go along with a sledgehammer and break their legs so that they couldn't lift themselves up and then they would die for shortness of breath. He said, it's finished. And he said they didn't want it. So they, they asked Pilate to hasten their deaths by ordering their legs to be broken. Remember that psalm where he says, not a, one of his bones was broken. Because look what it says. <coughs> so they ordered, asked Pilate to hasten the deaths by ordering their legs. Then the bodies could be taken down. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the two men crucified with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus... 
they saw that he was already dead. You'll never prove to me that he ain't who he says he is. Because his word proves it. You say, what do we have to stand on? A bunch of emotion and testimonies from different people? No. We got something bigger than that. We got the word of God that promises that. And they came to Jesus and they saw he was already dead, so they didn't break his legs. Thank God for Psalm 22 and Psalm 69 and Psalm 16. Go back and read it. All foretold. I'm hurrying. Oh, my goodness. One of the soldiers, however, pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water flowed out. This report is from an eyewitness giving an account, an accurate account. You know who this eyewitness was? John, the very one that was on the Isle of Patmos, the very one that laid his head on Jesus' breath. He wanted to feel his heartbeat. Thank God, Karen Beth, for preaching that sermon on, I just want to feel your heartbeat. I want to lean back against you, feel your heartbeat. John knew what he was talking about. And he says, these things happen in fulfillment of scriptures. And don't say not, and they say, not one of his bones will be broken, and they will look upon the one they've pierced. I'm still hurrying. After Joseph, verse 38, afterward, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the religious leaders, asked Pilate for permission to take Jesus' body down. When Pilate gave permission, uh, Joseph came and took the body away. With him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night. He brought about 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and aloes. Following Jewish burial custom, they wrapped Jesus' body with the spices and long sheets of cloth. The place of crucifixion was near a garden. I've been there. Where there was a new tomb never used. I've been there. And so because it was the day of getting ready to do holy stuff, and since the tomb was close of hand, they laid Jesus there. Sometimes we treat him like convenient. The cross is not convenient. They prepared 75 pounds of spices to anoint his body according to custom. In three days after that, he was going to blow custom right out the window. <laughs> He said, you can weigh me down with whatever you want to weigh me down. I'm the king of glory. And my father said, I'm going to rise again. If there's going to be any sign, it's going to be the sign of Jonah. As Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days, so shall the son of man be in the earth for three days. But he said, I've overcome the world and I'm going to rise from the dead. And he did. And the power that went into that tomb to bring that body back to death that it bore our sins do you know how much had to be done in those three days? It said he descended into hell, <coughs> preached to the captives, and he took the captives and led captivity captive. He did a lot when he was in that grave, and all they saw was the shell. But the Spirit of God was moving. It was moving. Moving everywhere. It never quits moving. In the beginning, it was moving. It hovered over the face of the deep. And guess what? The Spirit of God wants to hover over churches today and hover over our lives because we live in a time of chaos. And the only thing that brings peace and chaos is the peace of the Holy Spirit. Oh, I'm still on time. Acts chapter 2. And I'll finish with this. Verse 22. 
Well, no, go back to verse 17. I'm sorry, Olivia. Thank you. We're in the last days. We're in the last days. The world's going crazy. Somebody said the other day, you know why Jesus came? He got in trouble for our sins. And I thought, man, what a profound statement. He was in trouble for us. But he wanted to bear it. But look, what happens in the last days? It says, then, uh, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. That's the dispensation we're living in right now. God wants to pour out his spirit. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. And your old men will dream dreams. You say, well, I ain't doing that. Well, just get ready because it's going to happen. You hang in there. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike. God is no respecter of persons. And they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red. It's going to happen before the great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 22. People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus from Nazareth by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through them, as you well know. But God knew what would happen. And his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed with the help of lawless Gentiles. You nailed him to a cross and killed him. But, verse 24, God has always got an answer. But God, but God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life. That's what we're celebrating today. He bore, think of every sin that you ever committed, and me too. If he just would have died for one of us, that was a big load, but he died for everybody's sin. That was a big load. That's why they didn't need to break his bones, because my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But it says God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life. For, listen, this is where I'm going to stop. For death could not keep him in its grip. <laughs> Jeff, come here. Jeremy? But Jeff, number two, number three. Which Jeff are you? Number one, two, three. Jeremy, come here. Dan, come here. You're strong. I was going to use Zach, but he's too strong. Look at no, I. Jeff Plummer, come here. You're you're always good at this stuff. Come on, Zach. What's it say? It said God raised him from the dead because death could not hold him or death lost its grip. Everybody get a good hold of my arms or some part of my body. Now, I got to be able to walk, Zach. So. <laughs> He's going to lift me. We got everybody, all you faithful. You're just holding on to me. And this is an example of what happened. The devil 
Maybe some in this church think that he's got a good grip on you and he's not going to let you go. And the devil's strong. The pull of the world is strong. The pull to not believe that Jesus is who he says he is is strong. But Ezekiel said, (laughs) the hold of the Spirit was stronger than the hold of death. And I want you just to imagine, the devil thought he had him in that grave, but you know what it says? It says, when that power came into that grave, and you guys work with me a little bit, I can just see the powers of darkness struggling against his saving work, his saving grace, his freedom, his setting the captives free. And I can just say, thank you, Lord, for doing that. And you know what happens when we praise the Lord, no matter what's going on, then death breaks his grip. He can't hold on to it no more. We become like a bunch of greased pigs in the devil's hands. He can't. <laughs> Woo! Glory. He can't get a grip on us. I'm a greased pig. <laughs> Woo! You are. Yeah. Let me tell you about that. I'll tell you why. At the Boone County Fair every year, they have all the kids come out there and they have a greased pig contest. Anybody ever seen one of them? They get a little baby pig and they grease it up with everything that they can. And it's hilarious to watch those kids. And them pigs will come up and, but the pigs can't get a grip on them. And they can't get a grip on the pigs. And I want you to know today, because he is who he says he is, that your debt is paid. That we have salvation. He finished the course. Death can't get a grip on you.